Hi everyone and welcome to the Be You Mum podcast. I'm Annie, mum, wife, nutritional therapist, music lover and believer that animal print will never go out of fashion. I believe that we are at our most happiest and healthiest when all parts of ourselves are aligned and singing in harmony, the mind, body, heart and spirit. For me, like most, motherhood has been life-changing. It has opened up so many opportunities to learn more about myself and grow and become a better version of me and generally better human being. So this is what this podcast is all about. Conversations with awesome people who will inspire, inform and empower you to be more you at your brightest and best. Just like health and happiness, I believe there is no one-size-fits-all approach to motherhood. Learning to better understand, love and be yourself is one of the greatest gifts we can give our children. So I hope you will join me on this podcast journey of self-discovery, self-growth and self-love because when we connect with ourselves and step into our personal power, our mummy magic can truly shine. So please keep listening and remember, always be more you. Hi everyone and welcome to episode three of the Be You Mum podcast with me, Annie Breen. So today I am super excited to be joined by Mark Williams. Mark is a husband, father, mental health campaigner and motivational speaker. Following his own personal struggles with postnatal depression, Mark has dedicated his career to raising awareness and breaking down the stigma surrounding mental health, specifically in fatherhood. I first came across Mark a couple of years ago when I watched his Heads Together campaign video, which he did with his wife, Michelle. They shared their incredibly inspiring and moving story and hearing them talk so openly and honestly totally resonated with me at the time and has stayed with me ever since. So I was delighted when Mark agreed to come on to this podcast to talk about his journey. In this episode, we cover so much. Mark shares his fatherhood story. We talk about birth trauma from the perspective of the father, how this was a trigger for his mental health to deteriorate, which later led to him having a breakdown, or as Mark now calls it, a breakthrough. Mark shares the signs and symptoms that he noticed in himself and in his wife, and the importance of acknowledging these changes in behaviour as early as possible. We talk about the effects of postnatal depression and anxiety on the family, and how he went about getting help. Mark also shares the positives that he gained from these experiences, how he bonded with his son and his increased understanding and compassion for others who suffer with mental health. He also shares the tools that he gained that has now led to him being the happier, healthier person he is today. Mark is an awesome example of how someone can move from survival into thrival. Mark set up the Father's Reaching Out charity, which has taken him all over the world, providing motivational speaking and training to organisations, including the NHS. He was also nominated for a Pride of Britain award in 2012 
the amazing work that he has done. Mark has two books out, which in his own words is not bad for someone who left school at 15. I absolutely love our conversation. I found Mark a breath of fresh air to speak to and could really resonate with a lot that he was saying. And although we were talking about some pretty um, challenging and emotional and, and, you know, at times dark stuff, I will put a trigger warning there surrounding birth trauma and PTSD. Um, We have both come out the other side and are dedicated to spreading awareness and support and hope that things can most definitely get better. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a really important one to share with the men in our lives. Um, So without further ado, let's get into episode three. So hi, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. You okay? Yes, I'm great. Thank you. (laughs) I wondered if you could just start by... um, telling us a little bit about you and your story and how you got to where you are um, today and the amazing work you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's really important to, like a lot of uh, men and women, obviously got previous history, like depression, anxieties and traumas before they become a parent. And to get a real big picture, like I'm from a very mining community, very um, tough community, uh, people say. I, I think it's fantastic. I'm still living here. And but unfortunately, a lot of my low self-esteem came from school in the seventies, eighties. So I'm forty-five now. You know, it's it was yeah. I didn't get the overwhelming confidence. You know, so there's a lot of low self-esteem. Unfortunately, even school at fifteen. You know, so but unfortunately, at the time, I didn't realize until I was forty that I had undiagnosed ADHD and dyslexia. <clears throat> so I self-managed that for years just coping as best I could with it. And anyone who has ADHD, you know, when your mind's constantly racing, their ideas, losing things, there's those are factors, impulsiveness. And um, it goes, you know, it goes on and on. So, you know, I self-managed that. And then, but unfortunately, after I left school at 15, I, um, a lot of stuff went on. You know, I'm quite happy to say this, though. I haven't said much, obviously. The Ibiza scene, rave scene, and I really got caught up in that sort of thing you know, for seven years. And, uh, yeah, I really hit it really hard at the, you know, lost weight. You know, I mean, I was, um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on the last seven years. But I did jump a bit then. Um, I'll be honest with you, the one thing that did help me during my childhood was uh, a youth club that I'm still volunteering now. And uh, a gentleman named Stan Norris, he helped me and gave me the confidence. So I did have a balance. You know, he told me you can do anything. Don't listen to what anyone tells you, he said, you know. So, yeah, so after I left school, and I was a British champion at 16 as well, so I did get a lot of confidence from the youth club. Unfortunately, like I said, for seven years, it went a bit uh, all over the place, like drinking, all that stuff and different things. And uh, luckily enough, I met my wife, really, in, um, in 1997. So my life totally changed then. Oh, I love so, it. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> it was the best thing, actually, because... Uh, you know, I, I was never one to get in trouble as in, but I would just do stupid things, very impulsive, you know, in, uh, you know, get arrested with drunk disorderly, you know, jumping in a Tesco trolley and climbing stuff. I was just, yeah, totally mad at looking back, crazy uh, 
people to say, yeah, and I was the first one to actually do something like so. You know, so I, you know, I've self-managed that all my life. You know, very hypersensitive. You know, I pick up on things, people's feelings and things. So when I walk in a room, I didn't know about all this stuff at the time. So, but my life, like I said, totally changed um, in two thousand and four. So after I got into sales, I was doing a good income. My wife was doing a good job and in good money as well. You know, holidays, nice car, company car, all that stuff, all the material stuff, which I'm not interested in, I'll be honest with you. And, um, yeah, that, my life totally changed. It was 2004, and the pregnancy was fine. Nothing wrong with the pregnancy. But when we went to labor, after 22 hours labor, my anxiety was already getting higher, you know, to a point where I remember the doctors came rushing in, the free room, and... Even by looking at their face, I could pick up on their feelings, you know, what they would, you know, and uh, it was the first time I actually had a panic attack. Uh, I've never ever had a panic attack like that ever and ever since because I only sort of thought my wife and baby were going to die in that airport. And when my wife did go into the theater, and I didn't want, you know, obviously I, I don't say too much what I saw. You know what I mean? Because uh, even now, like 14 years on, you know, if I think about it too much, you know, obviously because I was getting flashbacks. Just flashback, I tell, take her back. I was getting nightmares at the time afterwards, you know, because I didn't know what PTSD was, which is an anxiety disorder. I have a witnessing or experience in a life threatening event. And there's nothing worse than thinking your wife and baby's going to die in our labor, you know. So after that, what, what I witnessed and that, you know, things and, um, my wife's depression really started more or less straight away, really. It was something not right straight away. And that's why I doubt we, when we talk to her now, you know, is it PTSD and because the symptoms, as we know, go into post, you know, she was actually diagnosed with post depression. But that first year was the worst of my life, I'll be honest with you. It totally changed my way of thinking about mental health. I was brought up in a community where there's a case of like man up and if you had a problem, let's go down a pub. You know, we had to be tough, we had to look after, protect, you know, all that stuff. And um, yeah, so I was, I was 30 years of age then, and I was totally uneducated about mental health, totally uneducated. So, so that first year was the worst, like I said, you know, I remember um, I had to give work for six months, and my wife was so ill, that crisis team were involved. So my wife is quite happy to say this now that, um, you know, she didn't want to be here anymore, and I witnessed that again, thinking that I was going to lose my wife again. And uh, I couldn't tell anyone how I was starting to feel. I couldn't tell my best mate, I couldn't, my best friends, I couldn't tell anyone. I certainly couldn't tell my wife how I was feeling because I didn't want to impact on her mental health either. So I really suppressed it all. And uh, I didn't know about the you know, nightmares, you know, waking up in the middle of the night thinking, oh gosh, I'm a bit, it's my, you know, so vivid, I thought they were dead. Like, you know, so I'd wake up and go and check. So all this I didn't realise at the time I was starting to get depressed myself then as well, you know. Very depressed. And um yeah, it was it was a case that uh run with the three, four month mark. Oh, what I will say is I didn't initially get that bond with my son initially. Initially. Because I was just relieved he was alive, you know, in I think the bond really grew because I was home for six months. So that's another thing I, I feel. I think both parents are supported you that's you know, first six months especially, have far better outcomes for the child as well. But, you know, my, my thoughts were all over the place. I was, uh, around about the three, four month mark, I was starting to get suicidal thoughts then. 
the thoughts, never made a plan to take my life. But I remember walking down the street in Cardiff, if a bus hit me, I didn't care. I didn't care, you know, you know. I was, um, my personality was starting to change rapidly. I remember getting more angry. I've never, anyone who knows me, I'm so laid back. But during that post-natal period, I was so angry. And I remember punching the sofa, I bust my hand. So now I'm, you know, in a sling, trying to bath a baby, and my wife was in bed ill. And so when I was off ill, because I was self-employed, there was um, money what is starting to come in. And uh, I had a new mortgage to pay. Because in sales, we had, we had lived at the, a level where we, I was expecting to be back in two weeks. But that wasn't the case. I tried to get back. I tried to get. And my wife, should, Michelle, should have had a mother baby unit. So there was no option whatsoever, which I campaigned for. I've been campaigning the last five years now that Wales has not got one single mother and baby unit, which is absolutely disgusting. Same as Northern Ireland. So we're hoping to change that uh, soon. I'm hoping to some good news soon. So that's another reason, because my wife wasn't sick. Not because she had postpartum psychosis or clinical psychosis. It wasn't that. But she should have some specialist support in a safe place with the baby because we were offered an acute ward setting and you know she was around people with bipolar schizophrenia you know elderly guys without the baby and that wasn't acceptable because i know now from working in these secure units sometimes you can witness more trauma going into these units and coming home out so yeah i um so i we basically we just done it from home really we said you know trying to, i got family involved we had a good cpn nurse which went on to set up a special service in uh, in in England, uh, Wales, sorry, Wales, and uh, it just went from there. Then, and you know, so they're so amazing. I know there's so many questions going around my head, but I have yeah. to say, like I've um, I've heard about birth trauma a lot from the woman or mother's perspective, but not so much from the father's. And it's not no. that we don't think think about it as such, but it's just that you just seem to kind of have more focus on, on the woman in that. So it's really, really um, amazing that you can share that and from, from a father's perspective as well. So just going back, because obviously the, the ADHD diagnosis was much later on. This is in your 40s, yeah. isn't it? This is once you've had your, your son. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I think... You know, beforehand, there wasn't as much talk about mental health. There wasn't as much understanding, especially about those sorts of conditions. And you kind of, what you were describing as your adolescence, that's something that made me, I reflected back to my adolescence because my matrescence, which is that birth of a mother, and I think there's even a term patrescence now, which is the paternal side, was almost, it brought back all my insecurities, all my fears, feelings of feeling lost, as I did in my adolescence. And I think, you know, I'm not undermining the conditions such as depression, anxiety, but sometimes these labels, we attach our identity to them and, and we fail to look at what's going on beneath the surface. And I think the fact that you then went on to have that diagnosis, did the pieces of the puzzle suddenly start to come together a bit more? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know probably, um, you know, it took a breakdown really at uh, so five years after so I was never diagnosed with any sort of PTSD or, or post-natal depression because I was depressed in the post-natal period. This is the point, you know. So there's loads of factors why the mother and father could get depression in the post-natal period. And there's not one evidence to say the reason why that mother or father had post-natal depression was because of that. There's could be loads of factors, as we know. And uh, so 
I think what it was when I did, when I was in community mental health services myself, and I was working in mental health in the stage, I was actually working in it, and I was like, what? Are you seeing adults? I said, I work with youth, young people, you know, that's, that's, no, and you know, so I had, a, I was in denial of that as well. When I started reading a book about it, and my wife read a book about it, and I realized my family history and different things, oh my, I, it just opened up massively. I thought, that is me. That is me. Because I, I was getting nearly getting diagnosed with bipolar as well. And two psychiatrists nearly diagnosed with bipolar. So, you know, when it goes that, you know, so the original diagnosis of ADHD took two and a half hours. So, unfortunately, the guy who diagnosed me, he was going to retire. Then he said, look, you've got another psychiatrist. He'll give us a stamp medication if you want it. And an ASD nurse. Okay, great. Unfortunately, within 10 minutes, he's telling me I got bipolar. Then another one telling me bipolar. So in this meantime, I'm in ADHD groups learning about it because I'm geeky like that, you know. And um, I just left community mental health services and um, I was doing a talk uh, to, to um, uh, an organization up in North Wales and a lady came up to me and she said, Mark, um, she's kind of, can I ask you a question? She said, have you got ADHD? I said, oh my gosh. So how do you know that? She said, I've been working with adults and children for the last 25 years. And yeah, I just went back and I was lucky enough, I, I, I knew a couple of people in mental health, ADHD, and we were educating a psychiatrist then, really. Yeah. And I think um, also, like you said, it was a huge shock to the system, wasn't it, for you and your wife? You weren't expecting this at all. Was there any um, talk around mental health when you were doing the prenatal preparation? Were the classes? Was the support? Was any of this mentioned? No, well... 2004, you know, I went to all the antenatal classes, but even postnatal depression, it was like, when I heard postnatal depression, it was like, well, why is my wife depressed? Is it me? She started doubting myself. Is it me? Does she want to be with me anymore? Does she want the baby? This, all these thoughts, because nobody actually sat me down to explain what postnatal depression was. Nobody ever did. It was, that came later on, you know, in years later when, you know, but it was, uh, it was just lack of education around it. Same as, you know, and I was, like I said, I totally didn't know anything about depression. I was one of those, I've never judged anyone ever, you know what I mean? But it was a case like, well, you know I mean? You know, I get depressed, well, not low mood and stuff, you know. And, but we know it's a different ball game. When you're in that deep depression, which I've been in, it's a different ball game. We all get fed up. And I think what people do realise, they think, oh, well, I can get out that depression. No, when you get depression, when you can't get out of bed, when you can't actually... You have aches and pains and physical symptoms as well, and you can't really function properly, and your mind's racing. That's real deep, deep, dark depression. You know, it's a different ball game. Totally, and and you feel hopeless, don't you? And you feel like you almost you're scared of yourself. You lose trust of yourself. You're fearful of being you, and it's an incredibly overwhelming. And and to think that you were both going through through that as well. So you were both in the thick of it. You had the first year was incredibly challenging for both of you at what point because obviously Michelle needed support you needed support what was the turning point you, you mentioned uh, um, community psychiatric nurse I think what was kind of the the first person you came or you, how did you go about getting help well um firstly I, I didn't get the help um I didn't tell anyone my mother-in-law see me you know crying rocking in the chair around about five-month mark, you know, I was avoiding situations, I was paranoid, all in the post period, I was drinking, that was the way to cope with it. 
fighting with bouncers, not because I had a chance to beat them up. It was a case of never form of self-harm when somebody's beating them, hit the nail. Like I said, I broke my hand. Um, so my, like I said, my, you know, I was, even my friends said, Mark, you know, they would call me, I was going, you know, when I did manage to get out, um, I was a totally different person. I asked one thing, if, if anyone listening, it does look different in fathers when I know now. You know, it's the, if, you, if you think that dad is, is acting differently from the, in the antenatal period or the, or the postnatal period, ask him why rather than just judge him. And um, so, yeah, so it wasn't until 2010. Um, I lost my grandfather to dementia. I've got a really close family and uh, we were looking after my grandfather. My uncle actually had depression looking after my grandfather because uh, he gave up work. So that's another reason why we should be looking after supporting um, people looking after, you know, uh, people with depression. But then, um, yeah, witnessing my grandfather pass away and then my mother was diagnosed with cancer within weeks of each other. It was affecting myself again and I was starting to go downhill because I hadn't dealt with all the little time moms. I hadn't dealt it. So, yeah, it just got worse and worse. Now, I, I'm from a uh, town called Bridgen, Upper Valleys. And there was a lot of suicides in Bridgen 10 years ago. Young people, unfortunately, were taking their lives. So I had a good understanding then as well. You know, I started to gradually work in mental health in 2008, trying to get up to sales. So my education was getting better, but I didn't know um, anything until I, was, uh, until I had a breakdown and, uh, in a car one day. And I was at my lowest, to a point where I was on my way to making a plan, if I'm honest to, on my way. You know, and I would avoid situations again. I was... Pretend to go work. I I park a car and sleep in the car because I couldn't do it in the house because people would find out. I put his face on because everyone knows me as happy go lucky always, you know. And I had to keep it up tonight, you know, to this man up culture. And uh, again, I was coming all moody. I was starting to think, um, oh, are they better off without me? I was starting to get really paranoid, thinking, and it's you know, people say well, suicide is being selfish, and I've never got down that suicide tunnel. But I can grasp at the point is it's probably, you know, you're doing it for other people, not yourself. You know, you're trying to protect other people. That's my take on it anyway. Because um, I was really ill. I think if my body hadn't shut down when it did, because my body just, I just, I just slumped in the car. I just couldn't cope anymore. I think the physical symptoms just overtook and, you anyway, know, going through all that stuff. And then, uh, yeah, lucky enough, I um, got in touch with the local charity and uh, they, got me to the GP and I was put on medication, community mental health services, and that was the best thing I ever done actually. I wish I wish I did that years ago. Like honestly, it was absolutely amazing. And um so I was like I said, I was I was a and I, what I will say is I was a kickboxing champion up to the time of my break or breakthrough. So my physical you know health was fit. And this is why we should be talking about physical health and mental health. Because because my mental health wasn't as good, it impacted on my physical health. So I was I was at my peak, you know. I just won this kickboxing championship, so I was at my peak. And I think um, when when I was stuck in bed, I just I, I didn't care if my wife left me. I just realized that a life, my son. I think my son, like Mina, I honestly say that my son really, you know, I didn't care if I lived on the streets anyway. I had to be there for my son right now. So I didn't want him growing up thinking that. Um, started you know then we could have i appreciate your honesty so much because i understand completely how that feels you are torn you feel like a hindrance being around and people would be better off without you but at the same time you could absolutely no way leave your child and that yeah. 
internal kind of battle. It literally feels like it's pulling your brain in two different directions. And I also love the fact that you talk about the mind and the body connection, because you're absolutely right. The body stores trauma in our neurotransmitters and, you know, we can hold on to that. And then the body can almost become overpowering in how we cope and respond to stress in certain situations. Um, so yes. did you, you got this help? How did you fail? Did you say the medication was the thing that was life-changing and the support? How did you, how did that make you feel? What was the difference? What was the no change? I'm a person sent that I am. I always has been. I think, I think unfortunately the medical model is that with mental health, you know, I, I said it's only my opinion. You know, medication counselling. I needed medication. I needed counselling, but also I needed other things as well. And I think uh, when I educate the fathers, you know, I say, look, some people need medication, some people don't. Some people need mindfulness, court CBT. Some people need a purpose in life. You know, you, we've got to be more person-centred and, and find out what's best for them rather than what I. So I, when people ask me what worked for me, I say, look, no, what works for me was a good counsellor. It may be a case of finding a good counsellor. Because people say counselling will work, it does work. But try and find a different counsellor. You got, you know, so it's it's find out what works, and that goes for my wife as well, Michelle, because she had to find out what worked for her. I I think um, it was unreal. It, this is the crazy part of it because I'm in the gym, so I'm 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 already in mental health, doing different bit youth work, different things, and I started to wait for. I, I started to change my job, and I went to um work in a secure unit for people with severe personality disorders and on a forensic ward. So not the best job to go when you just had a breakdown, but I, want, I need to get back into work. <laughs> so uh, the stress of that job was incredible. But um, I think um, what, what, what it did do, um, I was waiting to get back into work. I was in a gym one day and I spoke to this guy and I said, oh, can I, can I bother the weights for there? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, um, I've got to go to this NHS prams. And I said, I said, do you want me to ask? And I'm working in a, in a Hospital Neely um, in Cardiff. I said, what's NHS problems? He said, oh, my wife's got post-day pressure. And I said, oh, no way. I said, my wife had post-day depression too. And he said, no way. And I said, oh, my gosh. Within five minutes, we were talking about his experience, my experience. And it was the first time I actually told anyone about what I was going through. Because I didn't realize Brian, unfortunately, had witnessed his father die through suicide. And he kept on his box for 20 years. In his business, house, everything. His wife had severe post-depression, and then Brian actually had a breakdown himself. He's still in services today, eight years on, and we still keep in touch. So I said, hang on, Brian. I said, <clears throat> I said, do you want me asking? Uh, and he don't mind me mentioning the name because we've done a couple of films together. But um, so he said, um, I said, uh, I said, what um, did anyone ask you? How are you feeling? And he said, he said, no, I'm. I just want my wife to be well. I said exactly the same to me. So we said a father's reaching out. Now, father's reaching out was only a support group to support dads with their partners with post depression. That's all it was. <clears throat> so when we started doing the groups, so we had a counselor, we had proper safeguards in place, and we had uh, we worked in a like a in a, in a room in a, in a like a mental health building. Anyway. So it was all proper safeguards in place. I was finding out when I was telling my students, like Brian. All his dads were saying about birth trauma, they were post-depression, anxiety, antenatal anxiety, maternal OCD, which is never mentioned in fathers hardly, uh, eating disorder, all, everything. I was like, oh my gosh. It was just like a big can of worms. So luckily enough, I met Dr. Jane Hanley. I did an article, my story just went crazy. 
because it was never really talked about father's mental health, you know, in 2011. And I met Dr. Jane Handley, who wrote the book on perinatal mental health, and she's, we work together now for the last six, seven years. We've got a new book coming out this year, just so you know, as well, an academic book. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's not bad for somebody who's at school at 15 <laughs> with no qualifications. So, uh, oh, he has, has his benefits as well, trust me. But, um, so, uh, lucky enough, I was telling all this stuff on Confidential and asking for some advice. And she was saying, Mark, you realize, and other people, professionals, when I was doing it as well, you went through that as well. I mean, you went through all this. And it just went from there, really. You know, it just went from there. But the father reached out, was a charity, it just got so big that I had to pass on to another charity. Unfortunately, I didn't work out. But I just went down a campaigning route. Started doing keynote speaking and that sort of thing. That's amazing. And I just, I can feel my whole kind of body smiling as you tell me the story in the gym. And I can just picture it now because I can imagine it's just like a compressor. Like you just suddenly have the opportunity, the space, the safe space in front of someone else that's totally going to empathize to tell your story. And that must have been so, um, yeah, amazing just to let go of that pressure and that's oh, so important, yeah. isn't it? Because I know from a, from a woman's perspective, a mother's perspective, it's really hard to talk about this sort of thing because you feel like you should cope. You feel like you should be able to juggle life and parenthood and you feel like you need to be strong for your children and be that strong role model. And I think it's really hard sometimes to articulate how you feel as well if you're not fitting into the mainstream, like conventional boxes and things don't really feel right for you. Um, so I just think that's... a that's a really important word of advice and wisdom, wisdom to talk to someone. And it's funny how life works out, doesn't it? That you were in the gym yep. at that point in time, but now your service and the message that you're spreading, and I can totally understand why it's just gone crazy because you are the voice of so many men that haven't been able to, to talk so openly as you. So that's incredible. And something I just wanted to ask you, um, yeah, yeah. Your parent. So, how did the mental health um, on both yours and your wife's part affect your ability to parent at the time? Because, from my point of view, like I developed kind of safety behaviors because you know the phrase "pick your battles." Well, that yeah. can be for someone that's suffering and really is at the end of their tether. <laughs> you know, you do have to adapt the way you parent, don't you? Around that, so you try and avoid situations because you just don't want your buttons to be pushed. You don't know at what point you could explode. And I just wondered how you managed between you and um, any external help with parenting at that time. Yeah, um, luckily enough, uh, you know, get to the point where my mother-in-law had to come to live with us, which I'm still getting counselling for now, if I'm honest. So, no, I'm only joking. <laughs> I'm only joking. No, no, she's great. Uh, I, I always joke about my talks because... But I, I was I was lucky. I, I had a lot of family support, you know, in a, and I got a really close family, you know, in that circle, you know. I mean, um, I got a big family, but it, that circle is very big. And my mother-in-law, fair play, she gave a job in Bristol, came to live with us in South Wales, and so doing the post-natal period. And um, obviously, you know, it's hard. You know, I, I had a lot of good, co you know, I, I was co-parenting. I was, you know, sometimes Mo Michelle was so unwell. Now I believe that my bonding and obviously the attachment with my son grew because I was more skin to skin with my son. So the only good thing that happened out of the six months actually was because I was home isolated because depression, I was, it was probably the loneliest time in my life during that time because I couldn't tell anyone I was out. I, I like going to work. I like getting home from work. 
and um, I was just so isolated. So, you know, my, when my mother-in-law was wounded or my wife was in, unwell in bed, I'd be interacting with my son. So I, I believe it's always good to have, um, you know, counselling or a bit of a top-up now and again. So I witnessed a lot of stuff, uh, which, is, like I said, you know, I, was, I witnessed a lot of stuff in these units over the years and nothing happened, well, nowhere near as bad as what I witnessed in our labour ward with my wife, you know. I, I was scared I was because I wanted to protect my wife, you know, so I think, but I think what I realised has come out with it, I am very protective of my son even now, like, you know, I've got this thing in my head about 16. I mean, I think I feel more relaxed when he's more grown up and I, I don't have to protect him because I think that res, uh, comes back from when I was a child in school, you know, in uh, how I was unfortunately uh, treated, you know, by, uh, by student teachers and that stuff. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Life goes on. So I'm very protective, you know, what he's doing in school, very, you know, I focus his, his sense on certain things like that. And um, so I just want to protect him. Like, and he's, he's grown up to be a fantastic, you know, he's 14 now, he's doing well and everything in school. So I think that's part of the ADHD. I've gone off on tangents again, sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, 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 that, that's fine. And I think that's such, um, it's just such an important message. And, and what sorry. would, sorry, go yeah. on. Yeah. Parenting, and I think, like you said, you know, parenting is. I look at my mother and father. You know, my father was a minor. His father was a minor. Totally different. Father had totally changed now in the last twenty years. More stay-at-home dads, more single dads. You mean dads want to be more involved? You know, more like so. Totally changed. I I see this, and I think parenting is such a vulnerable stage transition, isn't it? It's such a vulnerable place to be. And I think that maybe sometimes that's easier for women, not always, which I found to show your vulnerabilities, but for a man, especially coming from the background that you've grown up in, that that must just, you know, you wanted to be that strong, protective person. And I think, you know, sending that message out now to um, fathers, mums who are listening, who might have partners that are suffering about the birth trauma and how that can really, it is post-traumatic stress, isn't it? It can cause um, a kind of a ripple effect of all sorts of different things to come after that if it's not addressed. Um, so what would be your final kind of message or, or words of wisdom to any fathers or mums who have partners that are suffering with regards to that and getting help and yeah. yeah. I just think that if we keep it as simple, I think sometimes is if your partner, same mother and father, or same sex couples, we remember that is if the personality has changed in any sort of way, if he's avoiding situations, even on the second baby, you know, if the antenatal anxiety could be higher because he hasn't addressed the situation first time around, now he's got to go into a labor ward where a smell can trigger off PTSD or anything, as you know. And like I, we only went on to have any one child, my boy Ethan. I'm so glad I got him. I've had the operation now. I can't have any more children. So, um, but the thought of my wife being pregnant again, obviously, as a man, I can be honest, you're desperate. You have sex as well. So then you've got a mother say or the, the partner saying, does does he find me attractive anymore? Does he this or that? You know what I mean? But really, the fact is, you know, if I don't want to go through that, have another child. I don't want to go through what I witnessed, I don't want to see you ill again. That's the point. We don't, you know, even now today, you know, I don't care about that. I think it changes you as a person when you go through depression. You don't care about material stuff and different things. But, you know, I always think my wife, I'll, you know, if I don't have money, she might worry about money, that sort of thing. 
So I want to, you know, no, I don't care about myself as much. So it's, uh, and I should do it, because if you don't look after yourself, you can't look after your children and your partner. That's the most important. So I rephrase that. But what I will say, if, um, you know, if, if there's some personality change, if he's drinking, unfortunately, I've told my dad's taking drugs, dads get the intrusive thoughts like mums, and, you know, OCD, they check, you know, they avoid situations because of what they're thinking, well, they can't bath the baby because of certain things. Ask him. Don't judge him. Ask him why is he behaving that way. That's the most important. That's amazing. And, and you mentioned before you're really into this person-centered approach, which is what I'm all about too, because we're all different. Um, and you did a bit of mindfulness um, and CBT. So just, we've got a few minutes left, but how, yeah. did, how did that help? Because I think it's really, it's a multifactorial condition or symptoms. So it's going to have we're going to need a holistic approach towards healing, aren't we? And, you know, talking therapy might be one thing, nutrition, another exercise, another. So how did you find the right thing for you? Yeah. Uh, well, front row, you know, AD, it's good for ADHD mindfulness and anything, but it should be taught in schools, really mindfulness, you know? And also I, I do look after my, what I eat. Uh, you know, I, I'm, because obviously, you know, there's stuff in when you eat, you know, dopamine, you know, in, you know, it's, it's I don't go into all that stuff. But, you know, it's what you eat as well is really important as well. You know, it's serotonin from the stomach. It goes on and on if people look into more. Um, but like you said, it's really looking at, if you, you know, people talk about physical health all the time, physical health, go to the gym, go to the gym. No, train your brain. To train your brain and train what you eat, you know, and those two come together, that's, that's the key. Like, you know, and so we've got to be talking about uh, mental health and physical health together. I personally believe that because... Like I mentioned earlier on, I was physically well, but then obviously what happened, you know, it impacted everything. So, and what I would say, with the biggest killer in men under 45 being suicide, there's over half a million male suicides globally each year. And believe it or not, the World Health Organization doesn't recommend screening of new dads, only mums, when everyone's got mental health, if it's good or bad. This is why we're up against. But the good news is, I'm proud to say, the NHS long-term plan now, if mum is unwell, dad will get that proper support. But my argument is, sometimes it's only dad who is struggling, and that impacts on mum's mental health too. Yeah, I think that needs to change. Um, and it's amazing the work that you're doing. And I agree, the, the lead up to like having a child, you know, it's normally all focused on the mum and the baby, or the baby, really, the baby's health. And I think these conversations need to be had um beforehand as well so where can people find you what are some things that you've got coming up you mentioned the book and you've got the amazing charity um so people do need to reach out to you um yeah. where how can they yeah. find you unfortunately like I, said, I, I i don't do the support the charity dissolved unfortunately uh, mostly campaigning doing public speaking training now so i'm trying to train cha uh, train people up uh, helpers and midwives also I'm, I'm looking to do talks in general, like for mental health in general. So, yeah, just Google Mark Williams, Father's Mental Health, uh, Reaching Out PMH is the one. And uh, I'm on Twitter, Mark Williams, FMH. And, uh, yeah, there's loads of stuff on the internet. About that. And then, uh, you know, I guess I can share resources if you need as well. That's amazing. I'll put all the links in the show notes. But it's been so um, amazing oh, no, speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I really appreciate your time. And I just know this is going to be valuable to so many 
families out there. So I really appreciate that, Mark. And um, can I say one thing before we go? If you are a parent and you've got a previous, you know, a depression apart, make sure you tell your health visitor. Make sure you tell your yeah. health visitor. There's nothing to worry about. Don't worry about social services. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people, families are worried about social services and other things. Yeah. Make sure you tell your health visitor. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I hear that a lot, mainly from mums that um, they're too worried to say they're struggling in case social services come in. And I've worked within that sector. I know that that that's not the case. I understand the worries, but I think that's such good advice just to mention it, talk about it. And then from there, you can start to look at avenues that are going to help you, isn't it? It's an acknowledgement. Um, of acknowledgement. That. And you're taking responsibility, so you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Totally. Oh, thank you so much. Amazing. And thanks for your time. And you. Bye. Bye. Oh, wow. What a amazing episode. Thank you so much, Mark. I feel really energized and inspired right now. And thank you everyone else for listening. If you would like to find out more or get in contact with Mark, I have put the link to his website, his social media platforms in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please let me know. Or if you're feeling super inspired, please leave me a review. I have a community for mums on Facebook called the BU Mum Community, which I set up for women on their motherhood journeys to get inspired, informed and empowered to reconnect with your health at a mind, body, heart and soul level. So please do come along and join to continue the conversation, spread the love and share your magic. See you next week with another episode.